Hey, welcome to Backyard Conversations. We're back again. It's been a it's been a good summer for most people because you can tell by how long ago it's been since we recorded. As a matter of fact, Timmy's not even here right now. Somewhere, you know, I don't know if he's backpacking across Europe, but somewhere in Europe. Um, and I'm back with Duckwall. You know, Duckwall and I had an episode uh, together before, and I feel like this is going to be a recurring trend. Um, I'm excited to have Duckwall back on the pod. Hey, Duckwall, welcome back. How are you doing? I'm good. Nice. Uh, uh, thanks. Nice, nice to be here. Um, last time was in person. This time is over the interwebs. Like yeah, we well, said, it would be. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. This is remote and back at conversations. Let's get right into it. All right, so the first thing I think is worth talking about right now is, is sports-related. You know, Manchester United are in shambles, right? You could tell by how they performed in the first two games of the new Premier League season, which um, yeah. has been really pathetic. One would think with a new manager, a couple of signings, there will be at least like a hint of improvement in the squad, but it seems like they're either where they left off from last season or even worse off. There's no sign of improvement whatsoever. And they are really, really desperate in the transfer market trying to get new signings right now at this point it's almost like a red alert and there's so much to unpack here um from the performance on the pitch to um maybe them looking for a buyer and also the conversation about elon musk uh, you know just tweeting about about the club what did you what did you hear about this <laughs> so i mean um Manu has always struck me as the type of club that they've gotten so used to um such a long legacy of success in the Premier League and even in Europe that whenever they take serious L's like this, which is like breakfast in Premiership, everybody go chop up, you know. <laughs> so whenever they take serious L's like like this, the willing is like out of this world. Um, I actually feel some sympathy for MU because I, it's a team that I actually like to see win, even though it's not the team that I support in the in the premiership go gunners yeah so i mean it, it was just it was just amusing to me to see them take such a beating and then to see not 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 just the beating but to now see the reaction to it um that was just crazy like it was like nah people people could not deal um and then elon basically just came and just threw like I don't think Elon has ever tweeted anything about soccer, football, you know. So <laughs> it's like something is trending, you just pick it up and just <laughs> just troll everybody. But it's also the kind of thing that like if if he if he wasn't trolling, if he was being serious, I actually would not be like legit surprised. Because at this point, it's like, can he really surprise us anymore? You know? It was just a, an interesting sequence of events. Yeah, I I think I think Elon could easily be described as as a billionaire menace. Um, he he tweets <laughs> he gets in trouble with the FTC every time he tweets something that affects the market or Tesla stock price or whatever. He's like that problematic child with a lot of money. And right now the tweet has currently like 850k likes. 
just to show you the pool that the Manchester United name has on a global scale, I think it is easily the most supported club in the world. Maybe it's competing yeah. somewhere with Real Madrid or it's mm-hmm. going to be up there, right? And this got a lot of supporters excited. And if you go back to that tweet, you realize that he is like, um, he's kidding. He's not buying Manchester United. Then he goes on to thread about how neither am I buying Coca-Cola and putting the cocaine back inside either, right? Because this is something yeah. that's true <laughs> in the past. Um, and so it's one of those things where you can you can see you can see how much impact this guy has, and also the 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 followership that Manchester United has that they, they would you know put so much focus on this man's tweet. I mean, although he did say, you know, it was his favorite club uh, as a t- as a kid, and you know, if there will be any team, oh, that, okay, he said that. that. Right? Yeah, it's like it's, you know, all those there's if there were any team, it would be Man U. They were my favorite team as a kid, and I'm guessing this, you know, this kid growing up in South Africa probably saw a few Premier League matches with um, Man U running the show, and you know, fell in love um, with the club. But yeah. Elon is just one factor. Like he's the one that went viral about this whole Man U thing. But Man U are in a, in a very, very uh, messy place right now because they've always been a club where footballers know if they can get in, they can cash out. Because they've always not, not just cash out, but like yeah, cash out is one thing, but you also like raise their their profile, right? Um, not, not in the past decade, like, though. Yeah, like because you you want to have played or at least had, had a significant part of your career in the same club as, like the club has a legacy, right? And so anytime anybody who joins that club, like it's, it's become some sort of like a, like a Harvard. Like there's this prestige of, you know, I mean, there's many other um, Premier League, not many other, but a bunch of the top Premier League clubs, popular ones, have that prestige, so to speak. But like, my is like, the, the one with it, you know, it's got that it factor going for it. But like you said, not in the past 10 years. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. every, and there's people out there like who are like, you know, in their 40s and their 50s who, for whom um, the glory days of, you know, mind you, are still very vivid memories. And so they're like, man, they don't want to see this, you know. It's it's one of those things. The reason why I said cash out is like you find it hard to see players who like you know how to say you play for the badge. Um the kind of mm-hmm. passion footballers show. Like every time I watch Bukayo Saka play for Arsenal, like the the, the the he's fighting for his position. Even though there doesn't seem to be much competition for his role right now in the team, but he plays like yeah. he owns, you know, um playing out wide for, for the Arsenal. But my United mm-hmm. just has players who like, they're almost like mercenaries, you know. They really don't want to. They, they really don't want to show up. It's and it's so and it's so unfortunate now because they're desperate and they're like asking everybody like, do you want to come? Do you want to come? And mind you, are not in Champions League, so high profile players are mm-hmm. not gonna go there until they're in the Champions League because it's very difficult. Mm-hmm. That's why Ronaldo's looking for a way out. Like he just wants to run away because it's like the UCL money is so attractive. Like the bonus, you know, however much money they make, it's a lot of money. And so it's one of those yeah. things where it's, they're just like throwing everything at the wall to see what sticks. Today, they're linked with Casemiro from Real Madrid. Tomorrow, they're linked with Rabiot from, um, what's he called? Uh, Juventus, which I, I think that one has fallen apart. 
um, now. But yeah, so they're in a very, very desperate place, and it'd be very hard to find people who actually want to play for the club in its current states. You know. Yeah. 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 Moving on from Mando. Um, okay, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I want more yeah. to say. I was going to say, I was going to say, like, what player outside, I mean, they brought to Ronaldo, and that didn't seem to, like, you know, move the needle. So it's like, what player or what set of players from outside the club can the club bring in to turn things around? Um, like, it's almost like they're having to build back, the, or they are going to have to build back the club from, yep. you know, yep. from the bottom. Yeah, um, the former manager of running said the, the club needs open heart surgery. It's like you're gonna need ten signings, <laughs> right? So it's just yeah. not a case of buying one or two players. You have to you have to revamp your entire team. So sure, there's you know Lisandro Martinez, there's uh, Bruno Fernandez, which people kind of assume he's gonna be a leader, but lately he's been just really off his game. He's he's, he's messy. Um, mm. Not like messy the player, but messy with a Y, right? <laughs> um, I know. I know. <laughs> Yeah, then then there's uh you know Malasia who just got signed, and there's not too many players. Jaden Sancho plays out wide. There's not a lot of players who would. Who, I think for me the metric, uh, the bar to figure out how good United players are will, will they start for the current uh opposition like in the top four, or top five? So will Emmanuel player walk into Man City right now? Will they walk into Liverpool's team and start? Will they even walk into the Arsenal or Spurs right or Chelsea? If they cannot enter the starting eleven in those teams, they're not good enough. Yeah, well, the question would then be who would they be replacing? Because those teams are pretty stacked. Oh yeah, they are stacked, and they're and they're in Europe. So none of them is gonna is gonna be no <laughs> no no discerning player is gonna want to leave you know that team and go play. You get what I'm saying, right? Yeah, yeah, I get it. All right. Um. Oh, that's that's almost ten minutes on my use. It's a juggernaut of a of a topic. I guess there should be like a section for Manu like every week when they when they lose four zero. Um uh, uh. are you are you <laughs> are you gonna be watching um are you gonna be watching She Hawk though? Uh definitely, definitely. Um yeah. at this point I'm I'm basically hooked into the MCU IV. Uh <laughs> you know the only thing, the only thing I haven't watched yet is the new I Am Groot. Um, it's, it's like a series yeah. of um short. shorts stuff. Yeah, I haven't seen that yet. But it also doesn't like it seems like something they just threw out there as you know just for play. It doesn't seem like something that would be essential viewing for even someone who is like a completionist like myself. However, knowing Marvel, there'll probably be like some Easter eggs there that might show up, maybe inconsequentially in some future IP. And then someone somewhere, either on Twitter or YouTube, would say, "Oh, you saw that thing in that movie? Well, they, you know, showed a bit of it in I Am Groot." So I'm going to watch that, mm. and I am going to watch She-Hulk. Um, I saw the first trailer, and that was the one that everyone was complaining that CGI was pretty bad and then um i saw the second trailer typically uh for this stuff i i, I like to just like see the first trailer and then that's it um but these days marvel seems to be even spoiling their own things so uh when 
they put out trailers, you start seeing things that like can count as spoilers for some of the stuff that is going to be in it. Um, I so I, I saw the second trailer because um, I, there will be like fixing of the, what do you call it, of the CGI. Um, so after seeing the second trailer, I was like, okay, yeah, this looks a bit better, it looks better, blah, blah, blah. And I'm interested to see it. And we had all the things that, you know, you expect, the humor, the, the you know, um, comic book, the inspiration of all them breaking the fourth wall and a bunch of all that. The funny thing about it is that I still think the CGI, like it still looks kind of off. And I don't know why or what it is, because for some reason, um, Hulk himself, which is played by uh, Mark Ruffalo, like when he's in the Hulk form, he still looks like Mark Ruffalo. And yep. the Hulk form of Mark Ruffalo is like much larger than the Hulk form of, um, what's her name? Um, her name just escaped my head right now. See Hulk lady? Yeah, the, the actress. Oh yeah. Um, so it's like, it's like, uh, I know like, of course they've been using the CG models for Hulk since the first Avengers movie. So they've had time to refine it, refine it, refine it. And then this one, this is like her first outing. Yeah. But because the character is much closer in size and form to the actress, when you as compared to, you know, Mark Ruffalo's Bruce Banner's Hulk, um, I'm 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 worried as to why there's still that huge disparity between the actress and the CGI Hulk form. Like, like for instance, now one of the things that I even think is funny is and and I, I have a feeling that it was done intentionally and might be played off for laughs, is that her hair is like short and frizzy when she's in a human form and then when she's in a hulk form it's like long and flowy and it's yeah. like does being a hulk you know give you a hairdo <laughs> gamma <laughs> radiation hairdo That's but yeah nice it'll, be, it'll be right it'll be fun to watch um i think the first episode comes has come out uh and um you know the funny another thing i was thinking about the other day was just how um when streaming like basically you know hit the became the main way most people consume um, TV content was that everyone was like, oh, okay, like the, it was the death of serialized TV, as in watch an episode this week, watch an episode next week, you know. Yeah. But Disney just came out with the whole an episode a week, but you're still watching it on a streaming service via the internet, and that is still like working because what it now does is that yeah, yeah, because it, it creates like build up to the next episode, and it has done so for all the, of the MCU shows that they have released so far. Um, and I think it even did that for, you know, Mandalorian, it did that for a bunch yep. of other things. Loki so he was the same thing. Um, yeah. So, you know, I think that weekly thing is here to stay. People will be talking about She-Hulk for the next, um, you know, five, six weeks. I think it's six episodes. So I, see. Uh, I look forward to seeing it and catching fun. Man, honestly, a couple of things, like, I was going to touch on that, like, when you said, mentioned Groot, and you talked about the, the possibility that there could be, like, an Easter egg for another, like, you know, Marvel show or movie in an mm-hmm. in, in entire, like, timeline or whatever, and it, it's it's just, like, one day we have to talk about 
the current mess that is DC uh, on this part, and uh, how how difficult it's been for them to um, <laughs> try to try and keep their IP on the same wavelength, especially now that Batfleck is coming back. But that's a whole different topic. The second thing I was going to touch on was the size of She-Hulk. And by the way, the the actor's name is Tatiana Maslany. Yes, Tatiana Maslany. Um, and so, and so it's um the size thing. I've, I'm looking at, you know, the green version of, of her character, and it's like, yeah, if you make that too robust or or big in the female form, I think it's, it's going to look really, really bad. Maybe not in 2D. Well, so not, she's not supposed to look, she's like, even in the comics, she's not supposed yeah. to be as big as, you know, as Bruce is. She's supposed yeah. to still look relatively, in fact, relatively close to, like, her normal human form. Yeah. Just if you just a bit taller, a bit more muscle-tured, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's basically it's basically like the kind of thing you can see a real person being, right? And then that real person being painted green, which was the approach they did to the first ever live-action Hulk, where they just replaced um, the pers- the actor playing Bruce Banner with another actor playing the Hulk. And the person who played the Hulk is like a much bigger, buffier, buffer guy. And then he's painted, he has green body paint on. Um, so that... Is that Lou Ferrigno? Kind of I think it was Lou Ferrigno, right? What? Yeah. Was it, it Ferrigno? Probably Ferrigno. I think for yeah. But anyway, I remember uh, that. Yeah, and he was always yelling with green paint on his face. <laughs> yeah, it's Ferrigno. Um... So so yeah, um, She-Hulk. Um, definitely. I, I don't know about definitely, but I will be watching. I think I would watch Groot before I watch She-Hulk. But the the yeah. the other thing I was gonna mention is the whole serialized format. I love it. You know, HBO also does it very very well. Mm-hmm. And and now with the House of Dragon, uh, coming out uh, later this month. You know, House of the Dragon. I think is what it's called. We will definitely talk about it here because it's something I'm excited about. And now that Game of Thrones is also re-released in 4K. So I essentially started watching Game of Thrones again. I just finished the sixth season. I have just two seasons left. And I guess my objective at the end of this rewatch is to prove that the show is misunderstood. And the ending is not as bad as people make it to be. But maybe once when I'm done watching it, that's when... um. I'll share my thoughts on that, but for now, it's it's rewatching it has been so good. The scale, the performances, yeah. everything is just there's really nothing like Game of Thrones on television. It's so good. So the the thing is, it's like it's one of those things where it's now being more remembered for tanking the ending than it is for how good it was for the seven, eight seasons that it aired. Um, and I think that final season ended, like the plot ended the way it was supposed to end. I liked the way the plot ended. It's just that the execution was bad. It like there rushed. were things that, yeah, there were things that just like jumped from point A to point, you know, C or to point F or something, you know. Um, and that could have been fixed with um, better writing, and maybe if they had added one or two more episodes in between, you know, some plot points to make some things flow better, you know. 
Um, I, I I don't know. I don't have as much enthusiasm for this um, House of House of Dragons prequel. Um, so I guess I'll just be going off of what people say it is before I jump in. Yeah, it's gonna be competing directly with Amazon's Lord of the Rings, and and I heard something interesting recently about when they were writing for this uh, Lord of the Rings, which is now the most expensive TV show of all time. I really hope it's not money wasted. Oh. Uh, um, they contacted Peter Jackson to see if he was interested in coming on board of the pro- uh, on board the project, and he said, "Sure, why not?" And then they ghosted him. And so I'm curious to see if the reason is because the studio. Really? Yeah, maybe it was a studio or it was a Tolkien family. Because there's a there's a bit of um, you know, uh, back and forth, and people are contemplating if if it was a studio thing or if it was a Tolkien family thing. But we we don't know. But Peter Jackson came out and said, yeah, he was ghosted. They never got back to him. He was waiting for a script and never came. Wow. Yeah. That's so crazy. Like. Yeah. I'm surprised that that would happen, because um, I mean he did so well on on the original trilogy. trilogy. He did and so well Hobbit. on Hobbit. Yeah. Um, although I didn't, I didn't like I liked the first Hobbit. I didn't like the second and third as much. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, altogether, I mean, he 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 did pretty good for that IP. And I mean, if you think about how thick those books are. And how difficult it is to like do take um, written IP and do it in film. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, it's one of the better entries. You know, people almost always complain that oh yeah, the film is not as good as the book, film is not as good as the book. But I mean, first of all, it's Lord of the Rings, so that's like already a high bar. And then he now did it and did it pretty well. So um, that they would do that to him uh, is you know is surprising. Yeah, it's really it's really surprising. We can uh, move on to a bit of tech right now and talk about Samsung's new new drops. And uh, Samsung has really been betting on, you know, like foldable devices being the next best thing. You know that they're at some point going to replace the candy bar style of smartphones we're already used to. And they have refused to drop the price points on these really expensive devices. Because I'm, I can imagine it's how it's super expensive to make these affordable things, right? And it, it makes me question how soon we're gonna get to the point where affordable device will be able to um, compete with, you know, the candy bar style in terms of pricing. I think it was the Z Flip and the Fold that they launched, the Samsung Galaxy Z Flip. Yeah. Yeah. So, what's your take? Have you seen reviews? Have you? Yeah, I've seen like a bunch of. I mean, I I watched the like the highlight reel of the um, what's it called of the launch event. Launch event, and then um, so a bunch of like first impressions and review videos. Um, I I liked so I like the flip more than I like the fold. So the fl- flip is the um, vertical. It's the flip phone style, right? Yeah. And then the fold is the one that like folds open to a much larger like tablet size yeah. style display. Um, and I think at, when they went from flip two to flip three, that was the one that like really made it, you know, very neat. Like the one and the two still looked like experimental, you know, products, but the three was like really solid. And uh, so the four 
is basically a refinement of everything they got right with the three. Um, I don't think there's going to be any cancellation of uh, Candy Bar. I think both things can coexist. Um, it just gives you know uh, people more options of preference and whatnot. Um, and of course, like there's that satisfying feeling of maybe you finished using your phone or you finished taking a call and you just close it shut or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, the the price point is flagship phone price point, and they are putting. Well, if you max out uh, an iPhone Pro Max, you're probably going to hit that amount as well. Um, I guess so. And they are putting like flagship um, specs inside, right? So they are not they are not like making taking any compromises. Uh, I mean, generally speaking, the prices of flagships across all OEMs is relatively already high. Yeah. Um, but they, since everyone else is already at that pr- price point, including Samsung themselves, um, then if they're going to release a flagship spec phone that has the additional, you know, mechanical complexity of folding open and shut, and you basically have to build it to last that open and close um, thing thousands of times, you know. Uh, then I guess I guess they are within their rights to charge and things like that. When it's new, it's expensive, and then with time, it comes it comes down in price. Um, that's if if it gets popular enough for other OEMs to now say they want to make flip, you know, smartphones as well. I think Motorola made one, um, but there wasn't that much hype about it. They tried to like resuscitate the Razer brand, but um, that didn't really take because Motorola has been basically out of the game for a while now for a while i think they're currently even owned by the lenovo if i'm not mistaken um at least the smartphone yeah, division yeah but but yeah so what i'm really curious about these devices i mean sure the, this decrease kind of still shows along the middle especially with the fold which mm-hmm. um which i don't want to say it's off-putting but you know early days right it's it's a new device it still has to get better and mm-hmm. and it's supposed to be a premium device i wonder if if people using it will notice that decrease is distracting at some point, maybe not. And and um, what I also hope at this point is that Samsung does a better job of like supporting the lifetime of the phone. Like if you're gonna spend two thousand US on a phone, you want to get major software updates for three years, four years, maybe yeah. five, right? But I think what Samsung is Definitely. doing lately is two years of like OS releases and then security patches for the many three years mm. or whatever which it's not fair to the consumer, right? I would like for Samsung to really support their flagships for five years because these phones are not cheap, right? They cost as much as computers. Yes, yes, um, yes. Um, so it would be uh, nice. That, I, like I, that support, that support thing is, um, it's, it's been an Android problem for a long time, right? I think Android 13 to just um, got out and like some, some, Google needs to actually sit down with OEM and figure out a way to move um, over the air Android updates. Agree. Like they just have to, they just have to figure something out. Because the model that it is now, it's like people have been back. We're on Android 13. People have been complaining about, you know, um, Android OS fragmentation since like 4.0. You know, 
So they've had more than enough time to resolve it, at least with the major OEMs, you know, the Samsung of the world. They should be able to figure it out. Um, two years of updates is just too small. Too, too yeah. small. It's, it's, um, yeah, I agree. It, it, it could be way better than it currently is. And I, I really want Android to get to the point where if you get a flagship, you're, you're chilling for like four years, not thinking about, oh, I need to upgrade this phone right now because maybe, because I don't, you know, it doesn't run the newest version of Android or whatever. No, like Google needs to pick it up harder. I agree entirely. Also, no, that, that's funny. The funny thing is that that's actually not what people would do. What people would do is I spent a thousand dollars on this device. Mm-hmm. Um, I've used it for two years. I've updated the OS for two years. And now I'm not getting any new OS updates. So I might as well just keep using it with the most recent update I have till the wheels fall off or till I'm ready to buy another one. Yeah. So like them not getting software updates, not going to now kick them to go and buy the newest thing. Nah, most people won't do that. So then you then you then get the situation where you see lots, a high percentage of Android devices still having older operating systems because the support doesn't continue for for as long as it should. Yeah. Um, Oh, and then I wanted to say, like, the thing about the crease is it, it reminds me, like, that one is a physical and mechanical constraint. Um, from some reviews, they say it's not as, you know, um, obvious. deep or, yeah, as obvious as previous situations. So it means that even within the physics of it, there's some room for improvement. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's the kind of thing that might go away completely. Um unless there's some sort of change in like the actual material that's being used. And it's, it's just going to be a minor, I think it's going to be a minor inconvenience. Anyone who likes that form factor will get used to it eventually. And after a while, they'll just like learn to, you know, ignore it. It'll, it'll not be a big deal. Kind of like how like the notch was when, you know, the iPhone X first came out and all them phones with like notches on the display and all that. Yeah. That's, that's, that's actually true. Um, there's, so, so there's going to be a point, you know, where the, the tech eclipses the constraint and it's going to look much better, even if it's folding or, you know, the crease is probably going to probably disappear at some point. Um, mm. Looking forward to that. And, you know, still on tech, but a bit of art mixed in between. There's a lot of... Um, <laughs> Uh, AI lately that's been trying to mimic human creativity, you know, Mid Journey, Dali, Dali and Dali 2. And it's put some artists on edge with how good these things are. What have you been <laughs> observing? You've have you played around with with any of these um this this AI? What have you seen? Um so I think Dali is still closed. So um beta or the test or whatever is not like accessible to the public but um mid journey is and i messed around with mid journey i mean at first when i when i saw the results um and when the things started propping up you know and i started to also see concerns of you know people saying hey this might you know chip into the work of professional artists and whatnot and i mean look here i share some of those concerns However, I said, you know what, I wouldn't make a value judgment and I still shouldn't make a value judgment yet because it's kind of early, but I, I want to at least try this thing for myself. 
Um, so I did sign up for Mid Journey. You actually have to do it via Discord. Um, and yeah. then, and like, there's a lot of people in them discords and they're all trying to, you know, get their stuff rendered. So sometimes even when you put your prompt, like, you know, 10, 15 people have put theirs after yours and then yours might scroll up. And so you might have to now scroll, scroll, scroll to look for yours anyway. Um, so I tried it with about four different prompts. Um, and there were prompts of things that I wanted to like draw and paint by myself. Um, and I already had like a, a picture in my head of what the final image was going to be. And then when I tried it with the, you know, as I tried to be just as descriptive as I could, um, for three out of four of them, the results were like way off what I had imagined. Um, which, which is not like to, to dunk on, you know, what the thing can do, but it is, it just goes to show that there's a very wide variety of um, outcomes, even from the same um, verbal description of what you're trying to get. Um, so then like the whole, you know, IP thing, um, there's, the, I saw like some back and forth debate on Twitter where someone was complaining that some guy on that guide who claims to be doing research was feeding um, the AI prompts and then also asking the AI to do it in his style, right? And the thing is, if someone is a, like an artist that is working currently, um, and then you're now basically asking AI to recreate that person's art in the style of person you would have commissioned to create the, art, the artist themselves, then that's a concern. And then you have to now start thinking about, okay, so what's, what's the ethics of this AI thing? How far is too far? You know, can someone sue for this and all that? Um, so it's, it's, it's a pretty interesting debate. Um, and like with any new technology, there's going to be people who will um, misuse it, who cross ethical boundaries and whatnot. And so like people also need to be preemptive of that. Um, but I, I still think based on my own experience, um, there's still a significant gap between the art that AI can generate and um, the art that a professional artist or, or an artist, anyone who's, you know, like who does this type of creative output and create by, by themselves. Um, just because the, the variety of outcomes, of imagined outcomes is almost infinite. Yeah, I think in all of this, with all the experimentation and and the creativity behind it, modeling the model, if that's the thing, after another artist's processes and learnings that may have taken 10, 15 years and getting some kind of machine to learn it in like 10 seconds and then replicate their work, I think that is that is abuse in its own way. Um, and it is worth, yeah, it, is. It, it is definitely worth discussing. And, and I know we talked about this earlier, but I also see a future where artists may be able to upload their work in some kind of platform uh, or service that uh, kind of like puts some kind of geofence from all these models or whatever. Some, even if even if it's not mainstream, I'm pretty sure someone is going to create that because the problem already exists, right? And, and it might not go mainstream, but someone might try and sell you, hey, 
here's a new service. This is not ArtStation. This is not um, Flickr, if anybody still uses Flickr. But this is a place where you can post your work and you can be guaranteed that, you know, your art cannot be used in model training or whatever. I don't even know if that's a possible thing, but I feel like it could be done. Uh, so that that's, that's going to be incredibly difficult to do because, like, in order to be able to do that, you really need to do, like, pixel matching. You have to basically match like pixel for pixel to record some like very very high level of or high detail OCR. Because um, even even in the NFT world now, there is that problem where someone who created like a piece of art or whatever and posted it on a DeviantArt or an art station or whatever, and someone else goes copies just like saves the image right the jpeg and then goes to um an nft platform and then mints that uh art as their own and sell it for an amount you know and there's none i don't know of any of the nft communities or any of the nft platforms that um stops that from happening on a technical level that is they can say oh, okay you know what you're not the owner of this art you're not the creator of this art we've recognized this image somewhere else on the internet and so we will not let you um you know pass it off as yours and make money off it so in order to be able to do that because i mean there are times when i go to a website and i want to save an image and the website has some sort of like funky funky script to prevent you from doing a right click or whatever and i'm like i'm not i'm i'm not uh, i'm not new to this i would do a control u I'd search for the JPEG file, I'd search for the link, I'd look for it in the CSS and then get the image out, you know? Um, So worst case scenario, if I can't find it, then I'll just like zoom in on my laptop. I mean, the the web can't can't inhibit my ability to zoom in on my laptop and then I can take a screenshot. And even when they try to inhibit your ability to take a screenshot, like I think Netflix is able to do that. Um, I can also just like take up, pick up my phone, angle my camera properly, and then take a photo of that image and then still like edit it to make it look sharp. So there's like many ways to get around it. So even with that, you need like that very, like it's a, it's a technical challenge. And I think it's something that should be considered because art theft is actually kind of a big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there are many times when you know you see art by somebody posted on like a print store and um someone else is making money off it or someone else is printing somebody's art on t-shirts and posters and the original artist is even unaware and someone else is making money off it and all that so uh let's see whether the the ai side will be able to um provide some sort of solution to some of those concerns um, that'll be that'll be definitely very useful for artists, you know. Protecting your intellectual property has always been a big deal since the internet became mainstream. I mean, it's always been a big deal forever, but now where it's so easy to to get your stuff jacked and replicated, this this needs um this needs we need some help. I feel like we should touch on one more topic before we wrap up. Um and We've been, 
I don't know if this summer you went out much and everywhere you go, you know, you like hear whether Peace Be On To You or a new song by Shaka. And now it's like in, it's in this, new, <laughs> it's on this new record with uh, Fireboy DML. It's like, yo. Yeah. Yo, and this guy has been on the other ground. He's been in the scene for a little bit. But I feel like 2021, 22 has been like his moment. Yeah, yeah. Like his, his come up is the kind of come up that um, that one likes to see, basically. Because it just happens so fast. And he seems like, at least from from whatever we get, you know, from the internet and what have you, he seems like a pretty cool fellow. Um, and he figured, like, he has, you know, his formula, he has what works for him. And it just kind of resonates with the audience, it resonates with the party scene, it resonates with people, you know, vibing to it in their, in their headphones and whatever. Um, and it's, it's just great to see the guy, you know, come up. I was listening to a bit of an like a snippet of an interview he had and he was like oh yeah that he had been messaging Olamide and Olamide should help him blah 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 and then one day Olamide just called him and said all right it's your time come come join you know YBNL and then he just and and the thing is his stuff was already at the time gaining that um you know audience like people were already vibing to his stuff and it's it's kind of like people say, oh, all, all his stuff sounds alike, but like you can say the same for almost every artist. So mm-hmm. especially when his sound is now different from what you've heard every other person do. So of course, if it's just him doing what he's doing, yeah. and he does, you know, um, he, like he's been putting out something like every month since his first thing dropped late last year, yeah. and so um, on every on every Niger playlist, he's gonna be there. He's gonna he's gonna be represented like with more than two three tracks even, um, which is which is good. I'm happy for the fella. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to see to see his come up honestly, and YBNL should take more credit. I feel like at some point we need to see Olavide down and ask him about all these artists, man. Like look at Fireboy, look at Ashake. He always has something cooking, and these guys are like people who are not just mainstream type no they sound unique they, they have their own sound they know how to write they know how to perform like how does the line they find these people well the truth is um i mean talent is distributed opportunity isn't so fair uh there will always be more people there will always be more people to find um let's just hope that the people that have been found keep it up and uh when it's the turn of someone new uh Hope they make the best of it as well. <laughs> Hope they do. That's really what's up. Right, this has been a good back here conversations. I feel like we touched on a lot of things, you know, from yeah. the, the deplorable Manchester United, you know, all the way to Ashake. <laughs> the really worldwide episode. All right, so keep it locked in the back here conversations. Um, uh, thanks again, uh, Deep Principal Share. Uh, I feel like this was a really good one. And we should do this again soon, maybe next week, and, and just just chat. Yep. All right. All right. Stay tuned to Backhead Conversations. Right. And for now, we're out.